You're listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc123 at me.com. Well, I'm excited to be here. I hope you're excited to be here this morning. Yeah. Uh, I have to say, this is the funnest church I've ever been a part of. Okay? I just want to say that. I feel like we can come in and just be ourselves. And if I mess up, you guys are going to laugh. We're going to move, move on, right? So, um, but I do thank you so much for being here and supporting our ministry. Um, I've been the ABS director of a total of like two months. And uh, we don't have a lot going on right now because it is the summer and all of our students are back at home and on a summer break, but we've been able to meet some freshmen uh, coming in during orientation and everything, and so we're just getting ready for the fall right now, and so finally have my family here. I think when I spoke last that they were still in Waxahachie, and uh, my family's here now full-time, and we close on our house. We're here in Magnolia full-time, so we're excited about that. Um, for those of you unfamiliar with ABS, uh, it's a ministry that your church uh, supports monthly. Uh, I am tech- Technically, a missionary. We see ourselves as that. We are missionaries to the campus of Southern Arkansas University. So we are a college ministry. We're ministry for college students uh, where we will serve them. And you guys get involved throughout the year as well and help provide meals on Monday nights and things like that. And so, uh, man, I just want to say thank you. I know that you've been involved for a long time. And uh, I'm coming into a position that's set up for success. And, uh, and it's all thanks to churches like you that we're able to do what we do. And so uh, I do want to thank you for that. If you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to be. And I want to uh, speak on, I want to preach on a message to biblical community. There was a writer, Robert Putman, who said this. In American culture, the greatest epidemic we are facing today is not a disease, but loneliness. Now, this was in his book called Bowling Alone. Um, This book was written before the pandemic even hit. And, uh, man, the, the kind of the premise of the book is that things have gotten so bad in our society where loneliness is at an all time high that people are now going out and bowling alone. And he's saying that this is an epidemic in our, in our society. This is happening, and it's affecting real people. But if you go back to Genesis, you don't have to read very far to understand that we weren't meant to live in isolation or be lonely, but rather God created us to be in community, first of all, with him, yeah. Yeah. and then second of all, with each other. Yeah. And yet in our society, there are a lot of people struggling with loneliness, isolation. And guess what? The pandemic has only made it even worse than it was before. And as you know, loneliness um, leads to loneliness and isolation leads to depression and even suicide. And so we know that this is a very serious thing that we need to address in our nation and in our churches. 
Um, so I want to give an example here. A couple of years ago, I did a study into what is called Generation Z. This is kind of the next generation coming up. These are going to be your high schoolers. This is also the college students that I will be in charge of. Um, you know, at Farley Street in Waxahachie, I was a student pastor there for four years. And so I was really fascinated by this generation coming up, but I also wanted to learn as much as I possibly could about this generation so that we can kind of tailor make our, our ministry to reach them where they are. And one of the things I found out is that, yes, isolation is happening and loneliness is happening. Um, and, and let me give an example of the kind of the community dysfunction that they're, they're experiencing. Um, you know, back when I was... When I couldn't wait to go get my driver's license. Um, I couldn't wait to, to be on my own, have my car, go get my friends, drive around town, go hang out, go to the movies or whatever. Um, but today, this generation is actually waiting even longer to get their driver's license than before. Why? Because they feel connected to their friends already. I don't have to get in my car to connect with my friends and go see them. I have my cell phone and social media and Snapchat and Facebook time and texting to where I feel connected all the time. So this generation feels like they're connected. They feel like they're in community, even gaming, right? Like when they play games, they're online with their friends. So they feel connected, but in reality, this generation may feel more connected than they ever have. But in reality, they're less connected than they've ever been. And I think that this is not just a problem out in the world, that this is a problem happening in the church. And if we don't address it as a church, if I don't address it in my ministry, then we're going to lose a generation to isolation. And we need to be proactive in that. We need to understand that there's a biblical mandate for biblical community. And that's what I want to talk about today. So in the book of Acts... We're about to jump in. I want to give you a little bit of context to the book of Acts. The Acts was written by Luke. Um, so this is basically part two of Luke's gospel. Okay, so we've read through Luke's gospel. You have the life, death, burial, resurrection of Christ, and the ascension. And then we get into Acts, and this is what happens next after Christ is gone. What happens with the early church? What happens, what do they do? Right? Um, what happens when Christ is gone and the early church is beginning? That's where we are in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to be in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now, as I read that passage, and as you kind of glance back over it, I want to ask you a question. Does this describe the church today? When you think about the church in America, or you think about your own church, because it's not about pointing out, well, this church doesn't do that, or, or this other church down the street. It's not about that. 
we have to ask the question, is this type of fellowship happening in our own church, right? And so we have to ask those tough questions when we come to tough passages such as this. The, the, the issue here is that as loneliness and depression rises in our society, the need for a devoted biblical community also rises. And so my question today, is this church ready for that challenge? Are you ready to step it up and to offer this world something they can't find out there? So I don't think we have a attendance problem. I don't think we have an attendance problem. I think we have a devotion problem. That's kind of a, a big word in this passage, right? The problem is that most Christians, when they walk into a church, they'll ask the question, what is the least I can do and still be saved? What is the least I can do and still be saved? That's why you see families come in every Christmas and Easter to check a box and say that they went to church and call themselves a Christian. But they don't want to devote themselves to anything more than that. And if we don't have churches that are devoted, we're going to lose the next generation. And this is, this is a serious problem. This is, this is something that's been on my heart for a long time. And I just want us to think about, well, what is it that God wants us to do to reach not just the next generation, because I believe in a multi-generational church. I don't believe in a one-generation church. I don't believe ABS is a church. I don't believe that we replace the church. I believe that every church is a multi-generational church. So, but we cannot ignore and we cannot lose this next generation coming up. So, before this passage, 3,000 new believers were just saved, okay? Day of Pentecost, 3,000 new believers um, are converted, they're saved. And what happens? What do you do with 3,000? I mean, if you went out into Magnolia or wherever and you preached a sermon in the middle of town and 3,000 people gave their life to Christ, what do you do next? (laughs) That's That's the problem. This is a good problem, but this is the problem that they were facing at this time. Well, what did they do? It says they devoted themselves. If you are taking notes or or you have your Bible, you may want to underline, highlight that word, write it down. They devoted themselves. What does the word devoted mean? What does it mean to have devotion? Devotion is a continuous, self-conscious decision or commitment. It's not asking what is the least I can do and still be saved. It's asking what is the most I can do? What's the most of my life that I can give over to Christ? It is a continuous self-conscious decision or commitment. But you see, our culture really struggles with this word commitment. They struggle with the idea of being committed. I mean, just look at the commercials that we see on TV today. Um, some of the things you see on TV, they're, they're trying to advertise you. You want to subscribe to something because they say, hey, there's no long-term commitment. You can cancel any time, Right? And that appeals to us. Oh, I don't have to commit myself to this. Then, then yeah, I'm in. I, I cancel any time I try it out. Cancel it. Free trial, right? No, no commitment. What about in the relationships that we see around us today? There are more people living together before marriage than ever before. There are more uh, what you might call open relationships or non-exclusive relationships than ever before. In other words, I can date you, but I can also date other people while I'm dating you. There's more, more of those type of relationships than ever before. The divorce rates are higher than they've ever been. Why? Because we don't, 
we don't know how to be devoted to anything anymore. We don't know what it means to be committed anymore. What about your attention? When's the last time you had a conversation with someone and they, and, and, and they, they would check their phone, right, in the middle of the conversation and, and you're having a conversation with the top of their head, right? Like they're, they're just doing this all the time. Well, it's nice to talk to you. you. You could walk away. They wouldn't even know it, right? When's the last time you had a fully committed conversation, eye-to-eye contact the whole time without checking your social media or your texting or calls or whatever? You see, our, our society has, has really discipled these teenagers how to not be committed. And if we're not careful, our churches can do the same. So I'm not, I'm not dismissing the church. This is all of our problem, and we all need to come up with a solution. The good thing is we have the Word of God. The good thing is we have the Word of God, and He tells us exactly what we need to be devoted to. So, what I want to look at is two things. Number one, I'm going to look at the early church's devotion. What were they devoted to? And then, I want to look at the results of their devotion. Okay? So, we'll look at the devotion of the church, and then the results of the devotion. What, were the, what was the church devoted to? Well, the early church was devoted to, uh, number one, uh, the apostles' teaching. It says that in, in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What is that? Well, in parenthesis, if you're taking notes, which, by the way, I love note-takers, okay? Uh, if you're taking notes, the apostles' teaching, you put out to the side that they were teaching God's Word, okay? The apostles' teaching was God's Word. And um, they were, at this time, they didn't have the New Testament like we have it today, okay? So they were teaching Old Testament passages, but they were teaching how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. They were teaching how the Old Testament promised a Messiah and that Jesus was the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. So that's what they were teaching. They, they also would teach what Jesus taught. We know the Great Commission says that Jesus told his disciples, go and teach what I've taught you. So we know that they're, they're teaching not only the words of Jesus and how, how Jesus uh, fit into the Old Testament, but the third thing I think they were teaching was not just information, but also application. And why do I say that, and, and, and how do I know that? Well, because you see a church here that is not just going to the temple and being fed and then going home. We see a church here that's going um, to the temple, being fed the Word of God, and then actually living out their faith. So we know that there's application happening to the information. And that's what our churches need today. It's not just people to come into church and listen to the Word of God preached and don't do anything about it. Right? That, that's checking the box that says, what is the least I can do and still be saved? Right? These, these devoted Christians were saying... The Word of God has to change every part of my life. And so that's what's happening here. The apostles teaching God's Word. That's the first thing they were devoted to. The second thing they were devoted to was fellowship. All right? Fellowship. Now... The word here for fellowship is more than just a potluck. Okay? I hate to tell you this. hate to tell you, church. The fellowship that they use here is more than a potluck dinner. It's more than an ice cream social. Nothing against that because that sounds awesome. Okay? But it, it was deeper than that. Okay? And I think you understand that. And I think I, I sense that here, that there's a deeper fellowship than just getting together to, to, to share a meal. Okay? The fellowship, the word fellowship here in Greek is koinonia, okay? Koinonia. And so really the idea behind this and what this means is that there was a common bond 
that led them to a common purpose. And that common bond that, that pulled them together was the gospel. So, in other words, I can come into this church, and, and, and I'm not a member of this church. Uh, we're coming from Waxahachie, Texas. You don't know me very well. You don't know my wife very well. But we can still have fellowship because we have a common bond of the gospel that pulls us together as family. And I feel like I've come into a room of family. Okay, so there is a common bond, but it leads us to a common purpose. It's the gospel that, that, that bonds us together, but it's also the gospel that is our purpose, to share the gospel to all the nations. So this word koinonia, it's deeper than just let's get together and have a meal. It is, it is a common bond that leads to a common purpose. This word also describes a relationship between us and God, fellowship that we now have uh, because of the gospel with God. We are brought back into that relationship with God. And so, in other words, it's a restorative type of fellowship. In other words, we can walk into this room knowing that all of us are broken, all of us are sinners, or none of us are better than anyone else in this room, but we are restored by the gospel. We are brought back into a relationship with God and a relationship with other. That's that koinonia fellowship that we're talking about here. So they devoted themselves... Not not, to, not just to the Word of God, but to fellowship. And then the third thing is the breaking of bread. Now we get to the potluck, all right? Now we get to the meal, all right? So they broke bread together. This can mean two different things, all right? This can mean two different things. The first thing it meant is that they took communion together. This was a command of Christ that you do this in remembrance of me, right? They're going to drink the wine. They're going to break the bread together. And, uh, and they're going to remember the body that was broken for them. They're going to remember the blood that was spilled out for them. And they're going to take communion pretty regularly to remember the gospel, remember their friend, okay? Remember, I mean, these, these people knew Jesus. They saw him. Jesus was their friend. They're going to remember their friend that gave his life for them. And they took communion. The second thing it means is, yes, you guessed it, they're going to share a meal together. Um, companion, the word companion in Latin uh, means uh, someone that you share a meal with, right? And so when you break bread with each other, you're saying that you're, you're family. You're my friend. You're my companion, and I trust you, and I love you, and I care for you. And that's the type of thing that's happening here in the church. They devoted themselves, and, and they're going from house to house. I mean, it says something about that um, when you invite someone into your home and says, you're welcome here, let me, let me share a meal with you. And it said they did this all throughout the week. And so, um, man, understand, we are made for community, and if you're in here, and you're living in isolation. That is not what God designed you to do. You are made for community. You're made to break bread together and, and to live uh, in community with other believers and with God himself. And so that's what they would do. They, they devoted themselves to God's word, to fellowship, that koinonia fellowship, the breaking of bread. And the fourth thing is this. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Now understand this, in the early church, prayer was not just transitional, okay? What do I mean by that? Today, in our society, in our churches, we can get so complacent about how churches, is, how churches work that we have a transition prayer for everything. We pray to start the service. We may pray before, you know, uh, maybe after the worship, before the preaching. We may pray to dismiss, to go home. We pray before our meal. We pray before bed. And it's almost become so routine to us that it's become, well, prayer is just a transition from one thing to the next. But for the early church, prayer was their lifeline. 
You understand that this church faced severe persecution. They would wake up every day not knowing if they would live through the day. So imagine that. Put yourself in that situation and how much prayer might mean to you then. And I'm afraid that we have gotten so far away from prayer in our own life and in the church that it's become just a transition. But let me tell you, prayer is our lifeline. That's our connection to God. Amen. I mean, that's, that's how we communicate with our Father. That's how we show our love and devotion to Him. We have to return back to the importance of prayer, just like they devoted themselves to prayer. Do you feel like you've devoted yourself to prayer, right? I want you to pray for ABS, but I don't need a bunch of people who say they're going to pray for me and they don't ever pray. Are you devoted to prayer? Are you devoted to praying for this church? Are you devoted to praying for your pastor? Because it's important. Let me tell you, a church that doesn't pray doesn't have power. A preacher that doesn't pray doesn't have power. A Christian that doesn't pray doesn't have power. We need to devote ourselves to prayer. So let's look at the results of this devotion, okay? What, What happened? Because they devoted themselves to these things, what did it result in? Well, in verses... In verse 45, it says this, And they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And I would say the first thing we see as a result of their devotion is mutual care. They cared for one another. They sold their possessions. They, they, they took care of the needs. That, that, I mean, as, as they knew of a need, they, they took care of it. So I want you to understand something because this passage can be uh, mistaught, okay? This can be misconstrued. This can be um, used as a false teaching in churches, and this happens from time to time. Um, so you need to understand something. that This passage is describing something, and it's not prescribing something. Okay, there's a difference. When you read through the book of Acts, you're going to come through different, the different texts that, that are either a prescriptive or descriptive. Okay, um, This is describing an event. It's not saying that this is what every Christian has to do at all times. So you can breathe. You can leave today and not sell your house and not sell your car. It's okay. Because this is a describing what the church culture was like then. It's not saying that God is telling you, that you have to go and do the same. Although, radical generosity is taught all throughout the Bible. So we don't want to dismiss the radical generosity. So yes, give. And if you have the means, sell something and give something to someone who has need. But this passage is not saying that you have to do this. And let me tell you, some people have twisted the Scripture to teach things like communism or socialism. But let me, let, me, let me tell you the difference between Christianity and something like socialism. Uh, socialism says, what's yours is ours. What Christianity says is, what's mine is yours. So, so it's always a voluntary thing for the believer because of what Christ has done for me that I, I offer this to you, Amen. right? And so we cannot twist the scripture. We have to understand that this is describing something and not prescribing something to the church. But we certainly need to remember that we are all to give generously as believers. Um, the next thing I would say about that verse in particular, about mutual care, I would love to see churches adopt this or, or even Sunday school classes kind of adopt this type of motto because we see it here in the text. Um, it, the motto is this, that need plus awareness equals responsibility. 
I'll say that again. Need plus awareness equals responsibility. When's the last time as a class you knew of a need and took responsibility for that need and just took care of it? Instead of relying on uh, the church or the pastor or the staff or somebody else or the deacons to, to take care of it, that you said, man, I, I know of a need, and if I just get a few of my buddies together, I think we could take care of this and take care of the needs in our community. You know, the gospel... It tells us to go and serve other people, right? Christ didn't come to be served, but to serve others. And we, we need to remember that as well. And I, I believe that they were devoted to that. It says they, they had mutual care for one another. The second thing that their devotion resulted in is unity. I want to read a passage in Acts chapter 4. It says this in verse 32. Now the entire group of those who believe were of one heart and one mind. And no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held all things in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all who owned lands or houses sold them, uh, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. So you see this description moving on a couple of chapters. Um, this was the testimony of the church. They took care of people, right? Our job is to bring love and unity and not division and strife. And in our society, there's division and strife. And when an unbeliever or someone in isolation comes into our church, they don't, need to, they don't need to experience that here. This is a place where we're unified. We, we all started the same place. Yeah. We're all sinners That's right. bound for hell. And when you come into this place, man, we're all on, the, on level ground. That's right. right? We're all saved by grace. Amen. And that's it. So we're a church. We need to be a church that strives for love and unity and not, not, not dissension, not, not division or strife. The third thing we see as a result um, of their devotion to the right things was this, missional living. We saw um, missional living come out of this church. What does it look like in verse 43? It says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many signs and wonders were being performed through the apostles. Verse 46, Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The early church... They did large group very well, okay? They, they gathered the believers together at the temple, um, and, and, and they preached the Word of God. But they also did small groups very well. In other words, they took care of their, their own very well. Um, they, they would go from house to house. They would divide up the believers, and, and basically like your Sunday school classes, or if you do some sort of a home group where you have a home group Bible study or meal every week or something like that, um, that's what they were doing to take care of each other. Um, but this all led to living missionally out, outward, and, and it says that they gained favor with all the people. People saw what they were doing. They were serving and taking care of the poor, right? They were actually being the church. Um, we, we've got to stop being a church that's so inwardly focused that we forget those that are outside, right? Um, people are not just going to accidentally come to church. We've got to be people who live missionally, love people, and share the gospel. 
If we lose that mission, we lose that vision, we're going to lose the next generation. But notice in verse 47, um, I know I've been harping on y'all, but I think verse 47 should give us all some, some peace, and um, I think this should give you some encouragement. Verse 47, notice that God is the one who grew the church. God's the one who provided the results. So, in other words, in, in closing, I'm going to close with this. We need to devote ourselves to God's Word, to prayer, to breaking of bread together, and to the fellowship. And I believe that we will see missional living and unity and care come out of that. But we always leave it to God for, with the results. Amen. When you share the gospel, you leave God with the results. When you preach the Word of God, you leave, leave, leave it up to Him and the Holy Spirit for the result. Right? You serve others. You, you leave it to God. You don't have to go tell everybody that you serve somebody. You just leave it up to God and see what He does. And I believe if this church will devote themselves, devote yourselves to the right things, and you leave God up to the results. And I believe that we are going to offer this next generation something that they cannot find out there, that only can be found in here, and that's biblical community. You cannot find this type of fellowship. You cannot find this type of uh, mutual care, missional living, prayer, any of that, anywhere else in the world. That This church has something to offer to the next generation. I believe that. And uh, we just have to devote ourselves to the right things. So uh, in closing, I just want to say in, in whatever way you feel like you need to respond, whether that's to be more devoted and stop asking the question, what's the least I can do? And, and start asking God, what, what, what more can I do? Yeah. God, I want to serve you. I want to do it all for your glory and honor. You know, uh, we need to be those type of believers. I want to see this church being devoted. 